If you have a copy of the scriptures, I would invite you to look at James chapter 4. Um, the words are going to be on the screen behind me this morning. We're continuing our study in James, and we're going to finish up chapter 4 today, Lord willing, and then get into the first part of chapter 5 next week. I say that to you because these sections, the end of 4 and the first part of 5, are connected. If you want to nerd out a little bit, look at the first phrase of verse 13 and the first phrase of verse 1 of chapter 5, and you'll see that these things are connected, which we'll explore next week. Before I read, I want us to get our bearings on where we are with James and what James is about. So I haven't uh, gone through James with you in a few weeks, and in those weeks I have been able to do some planning. So the plan is, by God's grace, we will start Romans at the end of February, the first part of March. It will be in Romans until the end of May. And then in June and July, we'll be looking at the life of Abraham together. I think Abraham is a wonderful uh, biography to think about and look at uh, while we're looking at Romans because of how important Abraham is in his life and how the New Testament authors looked at Abraham as paradigmatic for understanding everything. <laughs> And so we're going to look at the life of Abraham for a number of weeks, and then we'll get back into Romans and finish that by perhaps Advent time. That's the plan. We'll see what God plans, but that's what I've laid out. You might remember last time I planned was to go through James. Hmm. And then I had cancer, and I had to still go through James, starting off with count it all joy when you go through various trials. How about that? God had a much different plan for me than I had for myself. Shocking, I know. I actually say I believe this stuff, but yet when it happens, I'm kind of like, wait a minute. Um, all right, so let's review James. Uh, James is a book that is describing a cross-centered life. So if you want to understand the book of James, you have to remember that James is describing for us a life that is shaped by the cross. It's not a list of to-dos, it is showing and illustrating and describing what a life looks like that's shaped by the cross and what Jesus has done. Second, you might remember that James is also about motivation, that God is motivating us through the book of James. However, God is not motivating us in the way that we normally are motivated. How are we normally motivated, church? By deficit, you don't have X, therefore work hard to get X. You're in the weight room, you wanna bench 300 pounds, you're only able to bench 200, well, you gotta keep tearing those muscles down and working all the way up to 300. We are constantly being motivated in our jobs and most of what we do all the time by what we don't have, by some deficit. And God desires and plans to motivate us by Grace. In other words, God motivates us to obey and follow him and believe from who Jesus is for us. Got it? He doesn't motivate us to obey saying, hey, you're pitiful here because guess what? That would be true. We need Jesus for everything, including motivation. He wants us, God wants us to live our lives from what Jesus is for us. Rather than thinking Jesus is over here and he gets us in the door and then we get on the treadmill and just start running as fast as we can. Change the incline here and there, just keep trucking on that treadmill. That's not the gospel. 
The gospel is Jesus is brought into everyday life so that we live from his fullness. We live from his grace, motivated by the fullness of Christ, by grace. Then last, how does this book fit with the vision of our church? Well, as we've mentioned over and over, you can see it as you walk out the doors on the side wall. What we think that God wants us to do is to love God, love people, and love the city, or love the place where God has put us. So how does this book fit with that? Well, if it is writing to us about a life shaped by the cross, and God is motivating us by grace, then what that looks like is that we will be ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. So that whether you're a stay-at-home or whether you are starting a business or whether you're part of something else, be ordinary. Be an ordinary person doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the world we live in doesn't have a lot of normal people in it. Like ordinary people doing ordinary things. And oftentimes we come to Christ and think, I've got to be extraordinary if he's going to use me. No. He wants you to be you in Christ, motivated by grace, doing an ordinary, living an ordinary life. So with that background, listen to this. James 4, 13 through 17. This is God's word. You can bank your entire life on it. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you... Do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. You ready to dive into this? Well, let's pray. Let's ask God's help. Lord in heaven, we ask today that you would cause us to see truth in such a clear way that we can't unsee it. We ask that you would make truth so compelling that we desire it, we want it. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make Jesus irresistible afresh, that we might want more of you, Jesus, that we might want more of you so that the mantra of our lives might be less of us less of our power and our plans and our agenda and more of yours. Help us to decrease and Holy Spirit, make Jesus increase in our lives. For your glory, amen. So this morning, this is what God is doing in these verses. God is explaining to us why we vacillate between pride and worry all the time. So if you want a billboard, here's the billboard. This is the point. This is the takeaway. This is what I want you to know about this passage. God is explaining to us why we vacillate between pride and worry. You got it? 
That's what we're going to look at today. And in order to understand that, that God is explaining to us why we vacillate between worry and pride all the time, in order to understand that, we have to think about three things and we have to see how they're all connected. So here are the trigger points. Here's where we're going to work through this passage, through these three ideas. The first is planning. The second is evil. And the third is grace. So if we're going to understand how God is explaining why we vacillate between worry and pride all the time, we've got to understand how planning and evil and grace are all connected. You get it? So let's go. You realize that when you think about planning, that it is normal for us. It is normal for us to think about our schedule and to make a schedule, to make a plan, to have goals, even to have some expectations about life. It is absolutely normal for us to plan and schedule and set goals and have expectations. That's normal. It's normal because just below the surface of our lives, we actually live by a couple cliches that you've heard over and over for years. One cliche is this, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it, right? You can think about that personally, you can think about that with your family, you can think about that in the weight room, you can think about that as you exercise, in other words, you can think about that in any, in any avenue of your life. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it, and that's just below the surface of our consciousness. Here's another one. Control what you can control. I mean, I can't control anybody else, so how many times have we been told, control what you can control? You know, these two cliches are kind of like guardrails of our lives. So it's absolutely normal for us to plan and schedule and have expectations and, and goals because we know that if we don't aim at anything, we'll hit it. We know that we should control what we can control because we can't control anyone else. And not only that, our hearts are drawn to doing research. Our hearts are drawn to planning. Our, our hearts are bent toward wanting to work for something. Our hearts are bent toward doing our due diligence and then thinking that we can control things. It's true, isn't it? It's normal. Our hearts are drawn that way. And besides all of that, if you've never read the Bible before, here's a sneak peek. You can read the Bible cover to cover and you will find that God encourages a good work ethic, a hard work ethic. He encourages us to work. It's the way we were built. It's the way we were made in the garden. God tells us that working hard is important. And God also says throughout the scriptures that we are responsible for our decisions. We're responsible for our plans. We're responsible for our work. We're responsible for our goals. We're responsible people. So with all that in mind, James is talking to us about planning, something that we just instinctively do. And I realize there's some of you that plan more than others. I know there's some of you that love to plan out every little detail of everything. And there's some of you that plan a few things and then just, you know, see what happens. 
Some of you are more laid back than others. I get it, but all of us, to some extent, make plans and have expectations. So why? Why does James say these things in verse 13 and following? What, I mean, what's, what's the problem? Is there a problem here? Why does James do this? I mean, is James against work? Do you think that's true? Do you think James is against planning? Of course not. Remember James, you remember who his big brother is? <laughs> if you don't know, it's Jesus. James' big brother is Jesus. And that means that James probably heard Jesus teaching before, even if he didn't believe it for a long period of time. He heard Jesus say things like this. You know, there's a guy that planned on building a tower before he secured financial ability to do it. He'd heard Jesus talk about a general that would go out to battle without assessing his own military. James would have heard the stories of Jesus, those two being recorded in Luke 14 for us, but heard other ones about Jesus saying it's important to plan. No, no, none of you should go out and build a building without figuring out if you can afford it. You gotta plan. If any of you are leading an army, none of you should plan for battle without knowing everything you can about your army. That would be absurd for you to go into battle not even knowing your own army and your own weapons and your own soldiers and, and where your strengths and weaknesses are. That would be foolishness. So James can't be against planning, can he? So what's the big deal? Why is this a problem? Well, he begins by saying, come now, those of you that operate this way, verse 13, look at it. Come, come now, listen to me. Let's think about this together. Those of you that say, you know what? I think we're gonna go here and there. As a matter of fact, I think we're gonna go to this new place and we're gonna set up shop and we're gonna start you know, creating some kind of work and then we hope to get a profit from it. James says, those of you that plan need to really think about it because God's not against planning. Jesus is saying it's important to plan. But those of you that say we're gonna go do this, we're gonna go do that, our expectation is to start this and make a profit and travel where we wanna go, do what we wanna do and be able to live and make it. Now, hmm, why does James do this? Well, it's because he knows we all plan. And what's the big deal? Well, oftentimes in our lives, we make all kinds of plans and we leave God out of them. Now let's dig into this. Oh yes, I know there are many of you who every morning spend five minutes or 30 minutes in reading or prayer, but how many times do you do that and then the rest of the day you don't think about God at all? How many, how many of you are conscientiously thinking about your decision making so that you seek wisdom from God as you make decisions? But what ends up happening when you do that? is that oftentimes when you invite God into those plans and you think about what he would want, once you decide to make the plan, that locks God into your expectations. James is going deeper than those, beloved. 
He's going deeper. He's trying to get you to understand how many times do you read and pray for a certain amount of the day and then God is not involved for the rest of your day. And how many times have you made plans inviting God's wisdom and you make the plans but the only thing that mattered to you was locking God into what you wanted? And the reason we know that, because when our expectations don't get met, who are we angry with? God. Because the only reason we invite him in the first place is just because we wanted him locked in on what we're doing and what we want. You see, James is getting at this. Something that we do all the time, we plan, we schedule, whatever, and we forget God. And if you need it stated in a different way, look at verse 17. He states it this way for those of us that need to hear the other side of it. He says that we have this problem of rebellion by omission. Look at verse 17. For him who knows what to do and doesn't do it, it's sin. You see? You can on one side, make all kinds of plans and then keep God away from the rest of your life or think that this obligates him to do what you want or you know what to do. You just don't do it. We sin, we rebel by omission. This was the point, one of the main points of the story of the Good Samaritan. The guy is destitute on the side of the road and what the religious people do? Nothing. It's rebellion by omission. They didn't care for the guy. All they could think about is how it might damage them, spiritually speaking. It was sinning by forgetting and not doing what we're supposed to do, to care for people, to show mercy. Do you remember this? The Good Samaritan is an indictment on us that rebel by omission. We don't do what we're supposed to do for people. When I was in RUF, before I came here, I was a campus minister on the other end of the state. And it was a glorious time. I loved being a campus minister, and I'm thankful that I can still be involved with RUF today. And twice a year, we would have trainings. And we would go to those two weeks of training, and we would talk about theology. We would talk about philosophy of ministry. We would spend time together and praying. It was, it was fantastic. Those two weeks were some of the best two weeks of my ministry experience for those years I was involved in RUF. And one of the years, the national director, who was named uh, Rod Mays at the time, um, one of those years, Rod would always give us kind of a state of the union, you know? Here's what's going on in RUF big picture. And we all thought of Rod as like a granddad, you know? We all loved Rod. And I remember him standing up one time in one of our devotionals, and this is what he said. He said, this is probably, well, doesn't matter. He said this. Guys, one of my greatest fears as I get older is that I fear that I'm going to become irrelevant. I'm afraid that I'm going to be forgotten. Man, that hit me hard. I mean, here's a guy who's a lot older than I am, and he's telling me what it's like to be his age and what it's like to think about getting older. And his big thought was, I don't want to be forgotten. And I fear that I'm becoming irrelevant. Does that resonate with any of you? James is saying that 
in our normal planning and connecting our normal everyday lives with God, we have a tendency to forget God. That we have a tendency to act as if God is irrelevant. That yeah, we might pray for a little bit in the morning, but the rest of the day, God absent from my life. Until what I expect doesn't happen, then I get mad at him. James is going after the thing that we do all the time. It's almost a habit for us, isn't it? That we forget about God. We act as if he is irrelevant for everything that's going on in our lives. We struggle to connect our plans with God, our expectations with God, our agendas with God, our hard work with God. We struggle to connect every part of our daily lives to God. We just like him to sign off on something. Well, that's planning. So let's look at evil. Do you notice verse 16? I mean, good grief, where did this come from? Here's James talking about normal life and how we live every day, and then all of a sudden in verse 16 he says, well, this is evil? Well, James, this sounds a little bit extreme, doesn't it? We'll see if you can follow his train of thought. Here it is. If God is not in the center of our lives, we will put something in there. And do you know what we will put in the center of our lives if it's not God? You might be able to pick up on this already. Self. So that if we push God out of the center, what we put in the center is self. So that everything that we do is actually revolving around the self. Even if we invite God in a little bit, it's really about us. And look what James connects with evil. Boasting and arrogance. Do you see that? Look look at verse 16. Let me read it to you. As it is, we'll come back to that in a second, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. He's connecting evil with boasting and arrogance. Well, what's that connected to? As it is. In other words, verse 13. Here's your everyday life. God, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to travel here, I'm going to go there, I'm going to set up this shop, I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to get this profit. And James says, yeah, that way of thinking is boasting in your own arrogance. That way of thinking is extremely arrogant. As a matter of fact, James says, it's just evil. Because to substitute God with self is absolutely out of touch with reality. You know why? Who are you? Who am I? What is our life? We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Did you see that in verse 14? What is your life? You don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. If you had told me a year and a half ago that I was going to have cancer, I would have said, you are out of your mind. What do you mean? I'm exercising more than I used to. I'm trying to figure out how to say no sometimes in my job. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm trying to love on people. I'm doing the best that I can. What do you mean I'm going to have cancer? Beloved, God is saying to me, what is your life, Dave? Do you actually know what's going to happen tomorrow? New revelation. I don't. 
James is pushing us to connect the way we normally plan with the reality of how evil it is and how it's attached to our boasting and how it's attached to our arrogance because we're so bent on self and putting self in the center. And you know what happens when we put self in the center? Two things at the same time. We worry and we're full of pride. You get it? You see, when we plan and we work hard and we do our due diligence and we have all these expectations, when something goes right, whether we say it or whether we think it or whether we act like it, it is, oh yeah, I did that. When something goes the way that we want, we instinctively think, I did this. No, we may never say that, especially most of us in the South here, we're, you know, we don't like to brag too much. We humble brag, humble brag. We don't like to really brag. But inside, oh man, our plans go our way, look at what I did. And if we don't say it, we think it. And if we don't think it, we act like it. It's pride. And when things don't go our way, what happens? We worry. You know why? Here's what worry is. Worry is more than this, but it's not less than what I'm gonna tell you. And I'm sure I read this from someone else and modify it some way or another. Here is one definition among many of worry. Worry is an unmet desire to be all-knowing. That's what worry is. Worry is I have the desire to be all-knowing and that desire is not met. Therefore, I worry. You know why? Because I know how my life should go. And I know how your life should go too. And if you ask me, I'll tell you, right? Worry is having an idea of I know how my life should go, I know what should happen, I know how to get there, and I'm not sure that God is getting this right. Matter of fact, he may not know enough to know what's really going on inside of me. <clears throat> so we worry because we all have plans and we all think that we can make this happen. And when it doesn't go our way, we start to worry because we think God's getting it wrong because we think we know what's supposed to happen. You see, does that make sense of your life? Do you ever notice that you vacillate between pride and worry? I mean, if rage is the tone of our culture, which it is, what's just underneath the rage and the anger is pride and worry. Anger is just a symptom of our pride and our worry as a culture, as a people. So, that leads us to this grace, right? So we looked at planning. We see how our planning is connected to what God says is evil. And man, that catches us all the time because we find ourselves either expressing pride or obsessing over worry because we think God isn't going to get it right. Well, what does that mean for grace? What, what is it? Here, let me ask you a question. This will be obvious. What is it that fixes us? Is it behavior modification? How about is it knowing more? So if you just know more, everything's gonna be great, right? What is it that fixes us? I've already told you, I've already told you the third word, what is it? Grace, grace is what fixes us. Grace is what deals with our pride. Grace is what deals with our worry. It's the grace of God. 
Now, where do we find grace in these verses? Beloved, please don't say. Well, look at verse 15. Please don't say, Lord willing. Please don't think that the grace of God is exhibited in those words. If we just said those words more, Lord willing, I have this plan, but Lord willing it'll happen that that will change my life. Guess what? It won't. God is not inviting us to use more uh, Christianese jargon in our everyday lives so that we need to end our emails with Lord willing. Or if you like the Latin phrase of it, Deo Valente, DV. That's what it means if you've ever gotten one of those emails. God is not saying use this word over and over and over. And just as a quick sidebar, maybe you've had people that have abused you with those words. Here's what I mean. This has happened in my life. I've had people come to me and say, you know, Dave, I've been praying about this a lot, and God told me that I need to tell you this message and then continue on with the message. Do you know how manipulative that is and how spiritually abusive that is? When someone comes to you and says, you know what, I've prayed about this and God told me this and I'm gonna give you the message from God. Do you know what that is? That is spiritual abuse. It's someone who doesn't wanna take responsibility for their opinions. Do you get it? It's someone who wants to say, and if you don't follow what I'm doing, who are you gonna contradict God? Because he told me this. Do you get it? Deo Valente, Lord willing, has been used over and over and over to try to manipulate people and control people as if to say, look how pious, look how godly, look how, look how Christ-like I am that I talked about this, prayed about this, and God told me this, and I'm gonna give it to you. I've been on the receiving end of that, and it's not fun because it puts me in the position, again, of saying, well, you know what? God didn't tell me that. Puts me in the position of not knowing what to say with someone when they come with, I had this from the Lord for you. You get it? Do you get that? And beloved, let me say it again. That is not what God is telling us here. That is not grace. That's not where grace is in these verses. Look at verse 15 again. God says, Lord willing, we will go do this, we will go do that, we will make this plan and we will have a prophet, we will live where we want to live. Is that what it says? Lord willing, we will go and do this or that. Is that what it says? It says, Lord willing, we will live and go do this or that. Do you get it? The grace of God in this passage is that we understand that we don't have the right to live. Do you know what is going to undo my pride constantly? Realizing that I don't deserve to live. Do you know what's gonna undo my worry? Because let me tell you, I'm worried about my future. I don't want cancer to come back. And I think I've got a plan for my life, but anyway. Do you know what deals with my worry? The fact that I don't deserve to live. The message of Jesus Christ, his life and his death and his resurrection is that he died for people that are unworthy to be in a relationship with God. Do you understand that? 
It is not that Jesus came to die for worthy people like me. He came to die for the unworthy. He gave his whole life so that we would never get what's fair. Do you understand that? I don't understand that enough. That's why I struggle all the time with pride and worry. Because I forget. I forget that I don't deserve to live. It's the greatest news in the world that Jesus would come and die for people that are unworthy. That he would do what isn't fair by saving people like me and you. Because if we live our lives every day thinking that, oh, I actually don't deserve to be alive today. Oh, today is a gift from God. Today, whatever happens is gift. If I live my life conscious of the fact that I don't deserve to live, grace is getting deeper and deeper into my soul. Does that make sense? In other words, what if, what if you looked at everything that'll happen to you this week? What if you will approach whatever's gonna go on this week thinking, this is not about my agenda. This is about God engaging me and me being engaged. What if you approached your life thinking everything that I've got going on this week is not something for me to control? Everything that's going on in my life is for me to receive. Do you see the difference? Maybe I'll say it this way. What if, what if we lived saying, I'm gonna pursue this, I'm gonna pursue that, I'm gonna do my due diligence, I'm gonna research, I'm gonna plan, I'm gonna schedule, I'm gonna set goals. What if we said, I am going to do all those things and with equal passion, and with equal commitment, we said, well, what do I know? Who am I? What if we planned and scheduled and set goals and with equal intensity and commitment said, do I really know what's best for me? Do, do, do I really think that I can parent my children better than God? Do, do, I, do I really think that I know what's best for my career? Do I really think, do I really think that I know much of anything? Beloved, that is how the gospel can change us. That's not, come on, get busy. That is, take the gospel in because by taking the gospel of God's grace in, we can be the kind of the people that continue to plan, to make decisions, set goals, and equally say, what do I know? Do I really know anything? My life's in God's hands. And that's what brings us to the table.